Welcome to In Conversation, brought to you by Fine Music Sydney. In each episode, our host, Simon Moore, speaks to one of the important figures who make up Australia's artistic landscape. Over the course of the programme, you'll hear all about our guests' life, work and interests, along with a number of musical pieces of their choice. The following conversation was first broadcast in April 2021. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on Fine Music Sydney. Van Ann Nguyen is a passionate and versatile pianist, producer, composer and fashionista. She's performed around the world and released eight albums, topped the classical iTunes chart in both the US and Australia, but spends most of her time between her hometown of Sydney as well as her adopted second home of Los Angeles. She's embarking on an Australia-wide tour and I'm very grateful that she's got the time to be in conversation with me today. Van Ann Nguyen, welcome back to Fine Music Sydney. Thanks for having me, Simon. Now, you've obviously taken the optimistic view of the near future with concert bookings in several states. When setting all that up, were you at all concerned that uh, there might be unexpected border closures to put a dampener on things? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, you know, you've just got to go with it. Like, if you keep thinking about border closures, it will stop you from planning things. And I just, I'm a little over not planning things. I like, I like, I'm a planner, right? Yeah. So, and I've missed playing concerts. So this is, this opportunity came up and I was like, why not? So it was an opportunity that was presented to you? Yes, because um, the, the Candlelight series basically, they started in Australia in December last year. Um, and... I think they're here to stay. So they, they started popping up in other cities around um, the country. And then they said, look, your programs work really well. Why don't we send you on the road? And I said, yeah, why not? Maximize the, the programs and, and be able to play in different places and see friends along the way. Great. Um, yeah. But that's great that you sort of, you're at that level that you get these tour organizers to organize all this for you you're not scrabbling to try and make it happen it is a massive help yeah. i mean this is i think the ideal situation where as an artist you just focus on playing yeah right i mean i'm still booking flights but i love doing that anyway so. <laughs> there's something about booking flights here, yeah so. yeah i got excited actually <laughs> um but it's it's a great help um that they they set up the venues and they sell the tickets and then you just go in there and perform so tell me about what the sort of repertoire is, because it sounds like a, a lovely title for the series. Um, so basically these concerts are by candlelight. So they've, yeah. they've got candles literally, everywhere. Literally by candlelight. Yeah, literally by candlelight. <laughs> um, and um, it's an hour's length, which I think is really easily digestible to mm. a plethora of people. and, and A um, wide selection, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's been really great because they've been able to introduce it to many different types of people. Mm. Um, there's a Chopin program that I do, which is a full hour of just Chopin. Mm. Then there's another program of like movie soundtracks um, arranged oh, nice. that I arrange for piano. Mm. So it's sort of like the Hans Zimmers, the John Williams, that kind of vibe. Um, and then we have one separate program that is purely dedicated to uh, they call it magical soundtracks, but it's 
Disney. <laughs> well, there's a bit of magic in those. There's so too. much magic. So you, you think you like the Disney musicals, like sort of Lion King type stuff? Yeah, we're, we're like Frozen, complete old Frozen, school. I imagine. I old school. To, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> Pinocchio. Oh, really old school. Really old school. But then, of course, I have to do Frozen and Moana. Well, <laughs> there'd be a riot if you did. Yes. <laughs> no, you certainly went idle during the during the lockdown period because and I had you on for, for breakfast uh, uh, in the latter part of last year because you'd released an album. So yeah. tell me more about that album that you re- that you released in the lockdown. Yeah, the, this album, uh, Peaceful Piano Essentials, basically came about because I was stuck in Australia, right? Mm. Usually during that period I would normally be in LA and doing shows, but um, I was stuck here, um, great place to be stuck, mm. and um, I was doing live streams because that was our, one of the only platforms that you could really connect with with people so I did that and basically all of these requests that came through were basically these pieces on the album Um, and I thought to myself why have I not recorded Claire de Lune why have I not recorded Moonlight Sonata this is crazy like you grow up playing all of this but you probably played some of those when you were like eight, right? Yeah, when, when you're so young, and and they they're the most popular pieces, and like I've had friends want music for say a short film, and they're like, "Do you have a recording of Claire de Lune?" And I'm it, it baffles no. me that I don't. <laughs> like, wait, why don't I? So, I mean, it was really easy it's to plugging go, some of those gaps. Yeah, like why not? And I had the time, yeah. so I just booked in three hundred one and and recorded and. Then came the album, and there it is. It yeah. just happens just like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just goes to show you don't you don't uh, you know let the grass grow under your feet. <laughs> so we should have some music now. Uh, tell me about, about uh, this first choice. Now, it, the style is is uh, a little bit different to what uh, people might be expecting from a Chopin Nocturne. How did this come about? This came about, uh, I think, in two thousand and seventeen, possibly. Um, I I definitely love the crossover world, and I love electronics, um, and I like fusing the two worlds together. Um, I think uh, it's a great way to introduce people to classical music, but also vice versa mm. to to other ideas and other genres. So um, this particular nocturne um, is the nocturne in C sharp minor by Chopin, but I borrowed basically moments of that and recreated it and reimagined basically with electronics and then called it Memoirs of a Nocturne.
Memoirs of a Nocturne, and you may recognise that very famous Chopin Nocturne in C-sharp minor in there, reimagined by my guest in conversation today, Van Ann Nguyen. You say you like the crossover mm. style thing because it sort of introduces one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you bring the two together to fuse it into the Nocturne there? I rewrite my music um, on my laptop using Logic Pro, the program, right. and um, basically play with a lot of sample sounds and plugins. Um, and then I have uh, friends who are producers um, who are in the electronic world or are drummers or whatnot, other instruments. And then I either rewrite or add string lines in there. It's hard to explain actually the process of mm. it. It's a, definitely a team effort of other people who are specialized in other genres. Mm. How much of it sort of gets um, improvised or made in the post-production rather than performed? Is that the way they, those sorts of pieces come together? Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. It's. I think it's a, a writing process and mm. a crafting process. Um, you're basically, I guess, rewriting the piece in a way, right? Mm. Yeah. So are you playing a traditional piano in that or is it yes. an electronic piano? No, it's a, a real piano. A real piano with, with strings. Yeah, no, I wasn't yeah. sure whether it was one of those, um, you know, oh, like weighted a key- keyboards. Oh, yeah, uh, sure, Not sure. a synthesizer, but, you know, an electronic. Yes, yeah. I would I would write on a keyboard because, yeah, yeah. that you know, plugging in with the laptops and everything. But when it came, came to the actual recording of that particular work, mm. um, I was at the old Rec Studios, which was the old 301, actually, <laughs> um, which is now gone, sadly. Um, yeah, and then I had... Uh, live strings in there, and then we layered the electronic sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you've got all that, all that layering happening, but yeah. when it comes to just putting down your track of the Nocturne, uh, are you playing it differently to how you might be performing it if it was a, a candlelight concert, for instance? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, because of all the layers, like you're basically locked into... A tempo uh, as well. Yes, so there's no of none of that fluctuation or rubato. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so it's it is kind of weird. It it is a different um mindset because yeah. um basically you've got a metronome going the whole time. <laughs> um for Playing Chopin to a metronome. Mm. I don't know whether that's <laughs> No. But at the same time, obviously within the parameters you can Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can play around with it. Great. Okay, well, um, we've got some more Chopin now. Uh, why have we got uh, this next one, this next etude? Oh, this etude. This, um, I chose this because this really reminded me of like my competition days, um, doing serious piano competitions, and you always had to have a couple of etudes in there. Um, yeah. And this particular Chopin etude, Opus 10, number 8, for me, um, it's just light and beautiful, and I, I love Chopin etudes for that very reason. They're, they're, of course, they make you work your fingers, but they're just beautifully written pieces.
Chopin's Etude Opus 10 Number 8, known as the Butterfly Etude, performed by my guest in conversation today, the pianist Van Ann Nguyen. Now, Van Ann, you mentioned back in your competition days. That's quite an important part of uh, the formative years of a pianist. It is. It It is. Um, I think in my early years of competing, I think I did my first competition when I was five, like the Estedfords. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, And I actually became strangely addicted to them. Not because of the winning part, but because... But the winning must have been good. I mean, I didn't win every time. (laughs) I wish I did. (laughs) But it was more because I was around like-minded kids. Yeah. Uh, my parents are musicians, but I felt like every weekend I'd go to a new place or a different suburb and we'd all get to hang out. And it was fun. There was never any viciousness amongst the no? competitors. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least none that was directed. <laughs> <laughs> that I knew of. <laughs> so you mentioned your parents there. I mean, you were born in Australia, but uh, yeah. your parents were refugees from Vietnam. Yeah. Can you tell me about the journey they had? Yeah, um, so both my parents um, studied at the Saigon Conservatory um, and my dad's a classical guitarist and mum's an opera singer. And basically in the early 80s, they decided, you know, they they wanted to leave and um, luckily was given Australia as an option. Um, They did spend four months at a refugee camp in Indonesia um, before they I guess the embassies came to screen all the refugees right. and then they were given the opportunity. So they didn't leave kind of in the, the in that kind of fall of Saigon period. No. It was, it was actually they'd lived under the regime there for yes. a while. Yes, okay. yeah. Um, and I think, you know, my parents being musicians, they've always wanted to study abroad as mm. well. And that definitely was going to be a difficult possibility um, under what was going on. So, yeah, they, they came to Australia and immediately, I think music's so powerful and s- incredible in that way that it can connect basically everybody. Mm. It's universal. And so they were able to but start teaching straight away. They were able to teach, right. Yeah. So they were professional musicians in, in, um, yes. in Vietnam beforehand. Yeah. Were they allowed to leave or did they have to actually, like, flee uh, in was, the middle of the night. Yeah, it you was had to sort a of get flea. out in the middle of the night. Yeah. Wow. So that's a big bars leave of, everything behind. Bars of gold type type thing. thing. Yeah. Me. It was yeah, I mean, I I think about it. Dad was 30 right. at the time. Um and I think about that like I'm at that age thinking how would that ha- I could I would could never imagine. No. 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 So they arrive in Australia, fortunately as musicians, as you say, that's a universal language. Mm. But nevertheless, there must have been a very significant period of adjustment for them. Absolutely. Um, they didn't really know English mm. at all. Um, I think both my parents could speak French, but um, not English. So not, much, was... not much use here. But... <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and then mum went back to studying. She went to the conservatorium here mm. in Sydney Um and then also went to UNSW because she was thinking she would become a school teacher, mm. like a high school music teacher. And then I came along and then <laughs> <laughs> my sister came along and there goes that idea. Oh. Um, and my brother as well. But um, she she's still teaching and, and my parents were performing. Um, we used to do a lot of family concerts. It was really fun. So 
Yeah. Now, music was obviously very important to your family, as you said, they're musicians, but you started learning when you were 15 months old? Yeah, super young. Now, what, what did that really involve? So mum would teach us to sing in solfege. I say us because she basically applied the same uh, method to my sister and my brother and myself. Um, but you were first. I was first, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I was the guinea pig, right? <laughs> and now, like, in these days, you've got all of these incredible young developmental mm. things for kids. But at the time, basically, she put colors on keys and I would match the letters like A would be red, B would be green, C would be blue. And then you'd match it to the keys that she'd put red, green, blue. And, you know, a piece like Mary had a little lamb is mm. like three, three notes. And yeah. so you'd match the colors. So that's, and at so the, she'd write the colors or she, she'd put the colors on the page almost like not- as if it was notation. Yes. Huh. Um, yeah. And then she would teach us to sing in solfege and, so just explain the sophage thing for people. Oh, so singing in like do, re, mi mm. um, as opposed to ABC. Um, yes, you know the notes as do, re, mi, fa, yeah. so rather than... Yeah. yeah, which I don't... I guess, do they teach that still these days? I honestly don't know. I, I actually think it's more of a European way of learning than... That's um, right. And that I suppose may have come through via the French influence in Vietnam perhaps. Is, yes, is perhaps yes. Where they got it from. But that's interesting because you're learning rather than the note is an A or a B or a C. You're learning. You're just you're learning it effectively as the tonic, the yes subdominant, the dominant, whatever whatever the names are. I've forgotten all the yeah. All right names. Yeah, yeah, and and you're it's a language in itself. Yeah, um, and I guess at that age, I mean, I wasn't reading notation until you know maybe three or four. No, but... that's before people. Most people are reading. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> until that's... as old as three. Or <laughs> I think that's pretty late. <laughs> Tiger mom. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of how it happened, and it worked on me. So yeah, just... yeah. But I really think it has to be your own child for that to happen that early. Yeah, you're not going to lessons per se, but no, it's learning in the home. But yeah. you're learning on a actual piano. Yes. And making those sounds, making the key, pressing the keys, they make the sound. I suppose that helps, yeah. helps the development. So what about listening to music? Did you listen to, was there much music in the house? It was only classical music. Mm. It Actually, very recently, I think maybe about two months ago, um, I inherited my parents' vinyl collection. Because with yeah. peaceful pianos, I decided to press vinyl. I love vinyl. Oh, yes, you did, didn't yes. you? Yes, yeah. Um, vinyl's vinyl. coming back. So it is uh, back. <laughs> CDs are dying, but yeah. vinyl's coming back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there's something so beautiful about vinyl. The, the, it's conscious listening to me. You're choosing the record. It's an effort record. to listen to. Yes. Yeah. And you've only got, what, 25 minutes per side or something, 24 minutes. Is that all? Yeah, and then you have to go and flip it. So it's a lost art in some ways. Like people sometimes just leave music on the back in the background, which is totally fine. Mm. Um, but I just love the idea of, oh, today I want to pick this particular record and you place it on. Mm. So, yeah, I inherited um, their vinyl collection and basically it was all classical music. That, that's what I grew up with. Mm. Um, and then there was... Basically, a lot of guitar music, a lot of opera, and then um, a lot of Chopin, and and then there's like was the random ABBA vinyl in there. <laughs> random ABBA vinyl. Yeah. Now that must have been something they picked up in Australia. Absolutely. And they bought it in in Saigon. Oh, actually, no, they wouldn't have been able to bring all that no. stuff with them, would they? No. Oh, have you have the, have your parents or yourself been back to Vietnam? 
Yes. So much. Um, our first trip back was in 94. Wow. Because um, that's not that long after they left then. That's, that's ten within years. 10 years. Yes, 10 years. So what had changed? Especially because um, they'd fled the country. Yeah. Um, I was quite young. So, I mean, I remember meeting my cousins and uncles and aunties for the first time. Mm. If I can compare 94 to now, mm. incredible amounts of change. 94 was basically when Vietnam opened itself to the world. Right. Yeah. Um, so... So there was no nervousness that when they stepped off the plane they were going to be arrested or anything? I think there definitely was nervousness. Right. But they went anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 10 years is a long time not to see your family. It is. It is. But you are, yes, no, absolutely. But you're sort of ex- leaving under somewhat exceptional circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You mentioned all of the competitions and so forth that you were going to practically every weekend. But you also were performing on radio, including on this station um, from a relatively <laughs> early age. Yeah. How did those experiences contribute to your musical development? Oh, my goodness. I think at the time you don't realise how awesome it actually was to have that opportunity to play uh, on radio, like to play live, to live to air. To, live yeah. to air. I, I think I started at 2MBS when I was maybe five or six years old um, and every year we would submit a piece or two. Yeah. Um, and I remember like a bunch of us would sit in the main studio and we'd watch each other. It almost was like a comp, not a competition, but a concert and you'd yeah. watch each other perform. And it really was, I, I mean, I look back now and I go, wow, I had that opportunity. That's unbelievable. But it, I mean, the performing is, is so invaluable, right? Mm. To be able to perform out, let alone on radio is, is, wild to think about but it's interesting you you mentioned that you sort of probably didn't appreciate it much at the time because it's that kind of thing kids sort of little kids especially just sort of accept that this is just the way the world is yeah and i remember sort of doing that about other various things which sort of means that you don't have any fear either when the when the red light goes on and you're broadcasting to tens of thousands of people yes at the time (laughs) i definitely didn't have stage fright during those early years i remember very clearly when i started to feel nervous though I was 15 ah yes um and I was at a competition a city of Sydney competition and I was wait it was a long session it was there was like 40 competitors and everybody got their 15 minutes to play so I was very long day it was a long day I think I was waiting maybe six hours already so the pressure built it did and it was the strangest feeling. I was like, "What? What is this butterflies yeah. <laughs> um, feeling?" And and then I think at that point you you care, right? Something's mm-hmm. something's changed in you, and you care about it, it's one an adrenaline rush, but at the same time, there's a panel watching you and judging you in some way. Yeah, right? yeah. But how do you then get through that for the next time? Did did that effect come back, or did you experience that again? Um. I think after that, it was never an uncontrollable uh, nervousness. Mm. You know, at at some points, people have anxiety or um, memory lapses occur, for instance, if you're super nervous. But I think it just made – mum definitely was made sure that we would practice performance Mm. in front of 
as many people as possible. Um, and then just to be on top of your pieces, right? I think I, to this day, I'm still nervous before a show, right. but it's a different type of nerve. It's the, oh, I'm excited to be going out on stage. I wonder who's out there. Um, I wonder what the energy is going to be yeah. like. It's a nervous excitement rather than yes. a nervous terror. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm incredibly in awe of people such as yourself who can go out there and do that because it actually terrifies me <laughs> playing in front of people. You know what's scary for me is yeah. actually walking out uh, that, right. because I walk out in four-inch heels. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a choice there. It is a choice. <laughs> I live life on the edge with these shoes. <laughs> well, um, some more music now. Uh, we've had two lots of uh, Chopin. Well, one, one lot of Chopin was uh, mixed with yourself, but... Uh, We've got uh, some Piazzolla now. Tell us about what we're going to hear now. Oh, my gosh. Piazzolla is literally one of my favourite composers. Um, I think I was in maybe first or second year university at the, at the conservatorium. And I met uh, a lady named Maggie, a violinist. And she introduced me to this world of tango. Actually, no, I was 17. I was just finishing school because I she introduced me to, to play... Um, uh, all these tango quartets with her and a bandoneon player and a double bass and I was so what is this music this is so great it's so passionate um, so yeah the piece I've chosen is the Liber Tango which I think most people will recognize
Piazzolla's Libertango in an arrangement by my guest in the studio for In Conversation today, the pianist Van Ann Nguyen. She is, well, she's doing a tour all around Australia to find out where she's playing and to get your tickets. You should check out her website, which is vananofficial.com. And that's spelt V-A-N-A-N-H, official.com. So Van Ann, I mean, Piazzolla there, I mean, that is practically crossover going back to our first piece, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Without even having to do much to it. Yeah. I mean, he, he really broke and so many boundaries um, from traditional tango music. Um, I think that's kind of why I, I liked I liked the the recklessness of, of a lot of the Piazzolla writing. Mm. Now, you studied law originally after finishing school. That was a bit of a contrast to music. Did you not see music as a career at the time? So I, I actually started at the conservatorium. Like ah. I, I started music went overseas for music uh, to the US, then it wasn't what I thought it would be, um, and then came back. So basically my upbringing of music in Australia was really sweet. I, it was cushy, very comfortable. Yeah. Going to LA, it's an eye-opening experience right. when you're 17 and, and you realize, oh, you're the little fish now. And it was a lot of, it was very confronting. Um, and people were there, they were very competitive naturally. Um, but sounds like it was the nasty competitiveness that you weren't experiencing here at those competitions. I, essentially, I just made no friends. And I, mm. I always felt like I had a great group of friends here who were like-minded and all enjoyed the piano. Supporting each other. Yeah. Mm. Over there, it was really everyone was in their own lane. And um, I definitely wasn't a viciousness of like you would feel immediately or it would be spoken to you, but it was just people were there really to push their careers, you know, and I, I, I don't think my mind was quite ready for that. Mm. Um, so I came back and my mom... So how, just, how long were you there? I was there for almost a year. Right, but yeah. in a uh, a studying situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I became a little unhappy, I guess, and I just didn't think it would be like that. So mom's like, oh, just come home. I mean, she, she really didn't want me to go in the first place. She's like, mm. you're too young. You're too young, yeah. Um, yeah, I look back, 17 in LA at that time is, is was, yeah, diff- difficult. So she said, just come back and maybe try something else, like maybe something more secure. Um, even though my parents are musicians, you know, they mm. still they still want security for their kids, right? Mm. So And they would recognise, therefore, that it's not a particularly secure career. No, exactly, mm. exactly. So that's where the law comes in. That's where the law you're, comes you're in. You were obviously a very good student at school then if you were able to get into... I did well with my grades at Mm. school. Yeah, I I really enjoyed, I enjoyed studying. I really did. Um, I can't imagine going back to school right now. No, (laughs) how do you feel? It obviously came easy to you in terms of the the academic knowledge, even though you'd you'd study, but you didn't have to try. I think it was like a discipline that was ingrained in us from when we were young. So, Mm. So I definitely didn't feel, well, I, you know what? I lie. I struggled with science. I quit science as soon as I could, but I loved English. I loved maths, those mm-hmm. languages. Um, and I had no problem in committing to studying those things. So when it came to law, basically mom was like, oh, why don't you just try law? Because I definitely was not going to do medicine. Huh. Um, and science was out the window, yeah. so it was not going there. Um, and, you know, what else is there? Uh, accounting didn't really want to do maths. Um, so yeah, like the, the 
the, the English language definitely brought me to to choose law, and yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a in Australia basically they make you do a double degree, so it was law and journalism, um, and I enjoyed it for for the most part. And then towards the end of it, like by the end of fourth year, was when it just got really heavy and black letter law and constitutional law and I was like I'm out so I was I mean I was still continuing piano this entire time mm. so I think at that point I realized that I I just love the piano too much and I can't juggle all these things um, so I'm going to commit back to the piano. Did you have gigs to go to when you left the law degree? Um, yes yes that was basically what was going on was I would be I was still competing at that time um, and internationally um, but also doing concerts overseas. And so I'd have these overseas. two or three. Yes, overseas, like Germany, Austria. Even while doing the degree? Yes. Law degree? Yes. Oh, gosh. So you really were keeping them both going simultaneously? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, trying to teach, as make money here and teach <laughs> at the same time. So I really was juggling a lot. Yeah, because um, it, it, you can't um, squeeze all that into doing a law degree. I mean, that's not exactly a part-time degree. No, no, not at all. Um, and then I got. So, did you have any social life at all? Oh yeah, I I did have a so- I had a great social life too. So I really didn't sleep. No. And then that really, I, I got sick. I I mean, your body will burn out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened, and I was like, okay. Got to make some life choices. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't. Yeah. So it wasn't just leaping off the diving board uh, from the law degree to go back full time into music. You, you'd already established that as a viable career. Yeah. So, what about the memories of that year in LA? Um, Didn't that worry you? N- no, um, because I, I over the those years I felt. I think things shifted. Like there's definitely other ways of doing things, Mm. right? Um, And maybe during the process of doing competitions, that's all you thought could be possible. Like you had to follow this mold, you do the competitions, you win them, you get the concert opportunities, you get the CD placements. But there's other ways of doing it. And Mm. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll work it out. So when do you decide to relocate to Los Angeles or at least partly relocate to Los Angeles? Mm. Um, 2012 was my re-entry back into the US. It'd mm-hmm. been a good eight years or, yeah, eight years of not being there. And um, So why did you want to go back? I honestly just went back for a holiday. I'd met some friends um, and they lived in San Diego and they were like, come over, we have a great house. And I said, sure. I came over. Then the, we have a quite a large Vietnamese community in Orange County, California. So the, I think my mom must have mentioned it to some friends over there and they were like, oh, come and play at this event that we have. And literally that was, his, <laughs> the rest is history. Right. Yeah. Well, I, tell me about that. So, so you, you go along, you play a couple of bits and pieces at a, and a, then, a, an informal event? or It was a fundraising event. Right. And I, I literally went in and played, I don't know, it must have been two pieces. And people were like, who is this? What, why have we not seen her? And then literally from that event, another event happened a few days later and they're like, can you come and play this event? Like, okay, sure. And it just tumbleweeded into, I said, I'm only here for three weeks. I've got to go. So I left and then I came back like Thanksgiving. I came back four months later and for a run of events and it just kept being like that. I'm like, okay, this, I need to move. 
there, there's there's things here there's for things me. Here. Yeah. So what explains the difference from that reaction that you're getting in 2008 or whenever it was compared yes. to that initial or 2012, sorry, compared yeah. to that initial trip there? Because that initial trip there, I suppose, you're lined up against all the other Yes, penis. I was a student. Mm. It's um, basically the first trip was I was a student. The next trip, eight years later, you're a performer and you're an artist. Yeah. Without even really knowing that you are just yet, you're still finding mm. your feet. Mm. And, but it was a different, and, and I think the Americans, if they love something, they re, they're very vocal about it. Mm. Um, and I just felt this warmth from people. And, and I've, ever since then, even now, I, I work with musicians over there and, and there's, it's really nice. I, mm. I, I have a great working relationship, energy with musicians, collaborations. Everyone wants to collaborate. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you missed out on last year's American season, for want of a better description, because yeah. of COVID. But uh, is the style of concert you do over there, is it the same as, for instance, what, you, you, what you're embarking on now here? Um, this is pretty new for me, doing this kind of tour. Right. Um, I, over there, I it, again, it's a mixture of things. It's It can be you know house concerts where it's just a classical program. Um, it's... a you know, solos with orchestras, for mm. instance, and that happens two or three times through the course of the year um, with different orchestras. Um, and then there's um, smaller things that I put on myself and then there's events. And so it's it's a real mixture. The electronic side really is picking up as well. So there's festivals over there um, that I play with my electronic project. But, um, yeah, and I think that is something we're all really missing right now. Mm. So with those electronic pieces of music, like the Memoirs of a Nocturne that we heard earlier, mm. is that actually performable live? Mm -hmm. right. It is. Yeah, you just have to... It's more technology involved. Yeah, and <laughs> more having... More click tracks in the air? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, monitors and all sorts of things. Yeah. And endless foot pedals. Or yes, exactly. Screens around the piano. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we'll have our final piece of music now, uh, which is sort of going back to, to basics, if I can put it that way, because mm -hmm. it's a bit of Johann Sebastian Bach. Why have we chosen this one? Yeah. Um, this is the prelude in B minor from one of his preludes and fugues. And um, Silotti actually rearranged this I think originally it was in another key but he rearranged it in such a beautiful way as as just the prelude so and it's very it flies under the radar a lot I think so um, this is prelude in B minor Thank you. 
Jazz Bach's Prelude in B minor, performed by my guest in conversation today, the pianist Van Ann Nguyen. Van Ann, before we finish up, I have to touch on something which I did mention earlier on your website. There's mention of being a fashionista. <laughs> now and then also you're, you're dressed very nicely today. you're dressed much more nicely than many people who come into this studio for a radio interview I have to say but where did your interest in fashion come from you know what I think it came from my mom um, because my mom when we were very young and we would do concerts or competitions um we didn't really have a lot of money, so she no. made dresses for us. She she sewed them. She I I mean that's th- again thinking back, that's so cool. Your mom made dresses for you. Like I wouldn't know how to do that now. No, it's a it's lost, lost art. art. Yeah, it totally. is. Yeah, yeah. So and she would. Um, my sister and I were thirteen months apart, so she would make basically matching dresses, oh. and then she'd always make sure that we would wear like kitten heels. That is that is who I'm going to blame for my heel my heels <laughs> obsession. <laughs> But we were wearing like little kitten heels and at the age of five. So, um, and, and she would make sure that we would have different things to wear and matching bows for our hair. Um, so would you turn up to these competitions in matching outfits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the thing because, I mean, the presentational aspect of that, she made sure you looked great as yes. a, when you fronted up yeah. to those events. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was always, you know, prim and proper and we... it was something I became very used to. So it escalated real quick. (laughs) I mean, for for, for blokes who are particularly pianists, you know, they're either there in the white tie and tails or they've got some kind of flowing black number. But, I mean, what what you wear for a show does give people an impression of what they're about to hear, doesn't it? You do have to take that into consideration. It's part of the show. Yes. And I think that's a mindset that maybe was not something people thought about um, 20, 30 years ago. Mm. It's something much more thought about now because it's people are coming for an experience. It's not just listening to it. It's it's the whole visual aspect, I think. And for me, what you're wearing is an extension of you. It's your personality. Mm. So um, I, I, I change it up all the time. <laughs> Do you model for any designers? Um, I've worked with quite a few different designers purely because – of my I, my love for fashion and I was like how do I how do I make this work for me you know how do I get that dress that I can't afford um, okay can I borrow the dress and can I perform in it and we'll photograph it and then you know that it really became uh that, that's how it became a friendship with mm-hmm. with the the designers um I I think we appreciate and they they also they're creatives right so they also appreciate the music side of things mm. the nuances and and so it's it's a you know one of those relationships I think that we have a respect mutual respect for each other yeah I'm curious to know how all that peddling uh goes in high heels <laughs> see I think it's easier because you've got to pivot Ah, uh, yeah. Right? As opposed to, like, <laughs> if you didn't, you're moving your whole foot a lot more. Yeah. Like, from your ankle. But with, sure, it might be a balance thing, but um, I've gotten used to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you roll. Yeah. Just before we finish up, I, I always like to touch on how easily you can learn a piece of music. I, I sort of am always in awe of, you know, being able to pick up a a new piece or a piece that you haven't seen before to be able to perform in perhaps only a few days. How long does it take to prepare something for performance from scratch? 
That's such a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, it depends on the difficulty of the piece and whatnot. Well, say, you know, let's go back to that album that you recorded during COVID, which... which, um, Included some of those favourites that yeah. you would have been playing all your life. Mm. What was the preparation involved in that in terms of getting those pieces, you know, mission ready? I guess, um, you know, I started live streaming in April when we were in first lockdowns and um, then worked, you know, focused on it and recorded in July. So there's 10, 15 pieces on here. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of up till July it's three months of visiting the pieces quite often yeah Yeah. well you've got a full schedule over the next uh, couple of months I think uh, with this uh, tour all around Australia Mm. when do you think you'll get back to LA have you made any plans in that direction I think about it daily (laughs) Um, I I do miss my life over there and I do miss I know things are slowly coming back as well over there um, I guess Australia is quite strict with our borders as well. Mm. I'm not too keen on a enforced quarantine on the way back. No. So uh, that will be basically the deciding factor. I think until they lift that, I won't be going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Well, that seems an ideal spot to finish up. Van Anuen, thank you so much for being in conversation with me today. Thanks for having me. Pianist Van Ann Nguyen. She's touring around Australia at the moment. Check out her website, vanannofficial.com, for all the dates and to book your tickets. That's all for In Conversation for today. Remember, if you have difficulty catching the broadcast at 1pm on a Wednesday, you can listen to the program at your leisure in podcast form. Find us by searching In Conversation Fine Music Sydney, where you can also catch up on older episodes too. And don't forget to give us a rating and review. I'm Simon Moore, thanking you for your company on Fine Music Sydney.
Thanks for listening to In Conversation. This episode originally aired on Fine Music Sydney, 102.5 FM, streaming and DAB+. It was presented by Simon Moore and produced by Joe Goddard. For more episodes, just head to finemusicsydney.com slash inconversation.